You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. It's a problem to worship the wrong God, and it's equally a problem to worship the right God in the wrong way. Now that I might have your attention, let's go to Mark chapter 7 together. If you have not been here this summer, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, and so you've missed a good six weeks, and so welcome to week number seven. We're wrapping up the series today. We're going to jump into the book of 1 Timothy, starting next Sunday with a brand new series, but let's uh, land this plane, first of all, with holy sweat. So Mark chapter 7, go and turn there if you don't mind. Let me give you a little context of what's happening. If you were here, if you weren't here, kind of what's happening, Mark chapter 1 through chapter 6, we see a very compassionate Jesus. He is, he's healing, he's raising dead people, he's feeding, he's caring, he's, he's loving, he's responding. And really chapter 6 is the apex of his popularity. When in chapter 6 he feeds the 5,000 men, which is probably 20,000 to 25,000 people. Uh, by his own hand he creates these fish and crackers that we learned last week, or fish and bread, and he, he feeds the crowd, and he even collects 12 extra bags at the end to feed the 12 hungry disciples who had not eaten in several days, perhaps. It was a miracle of power and a miracle of precision. In fact, the crowd was so moved by this massive miracle, according to John chapter 6, in the same story, the same telling of the feeding of the 5,000, the people begin to cry out, we want you as our king, an earthly king. They were trying to force him to, to take this position of, of being the king, but, but Jesus refuses because he knew that they wanted the benefit of his power, but they didn't want to listen to his message. So he says to them, let's, let's not talk about the physical, let's talk about the spiritual. Let's begin to talk about your heart. So once Jesus refused to keep up the free fish and bread program, and after he started asking people about their hearts, and after he refused to be their their earthly king, his popularity begins to decline right here in Mark chapter 7. People begin to walk away. In fact, when John writes this story, the feeding of the 5,000, it's the very end of John chapter 6, that it says, and many people left him that day. This is where Jesus asked that great question. He turns to his 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave me also? And man, the words of Peter are so powerful. Peter goes, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And we believe that you are the holy one sent from God. So here we are in in Mark chapter 7. And just for you to know, the crowds are diminishing the people are beginning to see the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. So let's pick it up here in Mark chapter 7. We're going to see Christ as the judge here in Mark chapter 7. One who calls out sin, the one who calls out hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't play the fool when he is talking to people who love religion more than they love God. And if you love it, when Jesus starts taking swings at the Pharisees, and I do, Just watch out today. The swing of Jesus sometimes can go pretty wide. We may not have any Pharisees in this room, but I guarantee you there are many of us who struggle with pharisaical tendencies in our hearts. Mark chapter one, beginning, Mark chapter seven, beginning in verse one. Now, 
when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Let's just stop real quick. The Pharisees and these scribes who are new on the scene, they have come to Capernaum. They have come from Jerusalem. These are the legalistic, self-righteous, external, hypocritical, phony, religious members of the establishment. They are darkness and they hate the light. These scribes have come from Jerusalem because they want to kill Jesus and they're looking for a way to indict him. They're looking for a way that that they can take him down and take him under. And what's happening here, Mark chapter seven, there is a head on collision between the truth of the grace of Christ and the phoniness, phoniness of the hypocrites in the religious system. In verse two, they saw these Pharisees, these scribes, these, these phony members of the establishment, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. So let's stop right there. It's not that the disciples were eating with dirty hands. They were eating with unceremonially cleansed, clean hand or cleansed hands. In other words, they had not gone through the ritual properly, according to the scribes, according to the legalists of the day. They weren't, they weren't doing it right. And this was a big deal to the Pharisees. In verse 3, we see this little parenthetical statement for the Pharisees and, and all the Jews, because they were following the Pharisees, they do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. And here's how we know it wasn't about germs, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and, and pots and copper vessels and even, even dining couches. So the reason that, that the Pharisees were saying, you, you've got to wash after you come back from the marketplace is because you may have rubbed up against a, a Gentile. Or you may have come close to, to maybe a, a Samaritan. You may have touch someone who had touched a reptile earlier in that day and, and you've got to get clean you've got to get washed up you've got to go through all these rituals and through through all of this 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 religious ceremonial cleansing this wasn't about germs let me say it again so if you're thinking man these disciples are like five-year-old boys who aren't going to wash their hands before they eat my apologies to the five-year-old boys who are here although you probably don't wash enough before you eat that they, they were they were not it wasn't about germs or sanitation this was about the disciples not following the ritual, not following the tradition of the elders. In fact, we see that in verse three, tradition of the elders. We see that in verse four, the traditions. And so here we are in Mark chapter seven. Let's pick it up here at verse five. And, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with their defiled hands. And so they ask, and boy, Does Jesus give them an answer? In verse six, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of man. Jesus mic drop. There were like crickets in the background. These Pharisees have nowhere to go at this point. They have nothing to say. Here's really what Jesus was saying. If you want to write this down in essence, when Jesus was quoting here from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, here's what he was saying to to the Pharisees and the scribes. Your lips are moving in worship, but your heart doesn't belong to me. Man, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're showing up at the right place saying the right things at the right time. 
you sing, you act like you're, you're, you're a part, you act like you know me, you act like your heart is in it, but your heart is so far removed for me. And these words of Jesus were bruising. They were a pinpointed strike. Jesus lands the punch. When he says, man, your lips are moving and you're following through all the rituals. You're at the right place at the right time, even doing the right thing, but your heart does not belong to me and the blistering isn't done. Look at verse nine. And Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And Moses also said, whoever reviles or or, or speaks poorly of or evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say, you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Let's unpack that word korban. Korban, as it's told to you here, means something that is set aside for God or something that is given to God or something that is reserved for God. So the Pharisees, they were teaching people to say, almost like an incantation, the word korban over anything they didn't want to give to other people. Your parents were suffering? Well, I'm sorry, I'd give you money, but that money is korban. It's, it's reserved for God. I can't help you out. Here's the lower story, if you want to write this down. Looking for ways out of generosity, looking for ways out of giving is pure, self-righteous religion. And that is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, saying to the scribes, you're, you're looking for any loophole so you don't have to help people. You're looking for any loophole so you don't have to be generous. Now, specifically, here's what Jesus is saying. In the Old Testament, the word of God does say, he says, in Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother so that your days might be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. That actually is the only of the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it. And then he quotes from Exodus 21 right here, do not revile your mother or your father. That word revile can mean to, to abuse or to speak evil of your father or your mother or the word of the Lord said, you're gonna die. So Jesus says, that is the word of God, but you have just told your people, hey, if you have something extra to give to your parents or a way to provide for your mom and your, your dad, even though God's word says to honor them, a Pharisee could teach the people or just pronounce korban over all of your stuff and that stuff will never be given to your father, never be given to honor your mother. In fact, instead it's reserved just for God. Do you see how setting aside and trying to find a loophole around the commandment of God is all about hypocritical religion? But here's what Jesus is saying. If you wanna write this down, looking for ways to be generous, looking for ways to to, to give, that is pure imitation of Jesus himself. See, we're constantly on the lookout for for ways we can be generous, ways that that we can be be givers to, to other people. Instead of just saying, well, I'm sorry I can't give, I'm sorry I can't help, the Pharisees would teach you just reserve all that stuff as if it belongs to God only. In other words, that way you could look spiritual without having to give anything to anybody. Then Jesus comes on the scene and turns everything upside down. He says, no, no, I want you to look for ways. I want you to search for ways to be generous. I want you to look for ways 
to give. And in doing so, you'll imitate Jesus himself. You see, in, in that statement, it's the heart, it's the grace, it's the relationship. It is following in the steps, the path, the pattern of Christ. Now, often here at Highland, we'll walk through the lower story and we'll walk through the upper story. The lower story is always the narrative, what he said, what she said, the geography, the quotes, the verbatims. There's also an upper story, a kind of upper story of, of God's redemption plan. So we have looked at the lower story. Let me tell you what the upper story is here in Mark chapter seven, these first uh, 12 or 13 verses that we have looked at through so far. Really, here is the, here's the upper story that I want you to see what Jesus is saying. Here's the upper story. We must adjust our lives to the authority of scripture. This is what Jesus is doing. He is comparing the supremacy of the authority of scripture with the low nature of tradition. So seven times in this passage we just read, there is mention of tradition. When you see things repeated over and over again in scripture, you know that that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to aim our hearts toward. And so let me just show you very quickly. In verse three, it says tradition of the elders. Verse four, it says tradition. Verse five, it says tradition of the elders. Verse seven, referring to tradition, says commandments of man. Verse eight, traditions of men. Verse nine, your tradition. Verse 13, your tradition. You see, this is the conflict. Jesus is now coming to them and saying, you are more concerned about your tradition than you are with scripture. In fact, religious hypocrites, you have put tradition on the same plane as God's word. I don't know about you, but in my mind's ear, if that's even a phrase, I can hear Jesus saying these things with a lot of passion. He's not sitting back mumbling these words. He has come directly into the place of establishment, speaking directly to the hypocrites of the day. And with great passion in his voice, he was saying, you are not honoring the unique supremacy of scripture. And when you do not do that, you become your own God. You create your own God when you don't recognize the authority of the Bible. Let me just say to every brother and sister in Christ here this morning, if you believe that you're under the authority of God, then you must believe that you're under the authority of Scripture. And here in this passage, Jesus is elevating the Word of God. We see this high esteem that Jesus has for the Word. You see, Jesus sees Scripture not as man-made, but as God-given. 22 times in the Gospels. Jesus says this Greek phrase, gagrophatai. It's where we get our English word graffiti, gagrophatai. It means in English, it is written. And we saw it just then in Mark chapter seven. If your Bible's still open, I sure hope it is. In verse six, it says, as it is written, then Jesus quotes from Isaiah. That phrase, it is written. 22 times Jesus says that phrase specifically, but 228 times in the Gospels, Jesus quotes a passage from the Old Testament. 228 times he quotes directly from the Old Testament or he refers back to an Old Testament situation. You see, Jesus fortified his heart with Scripture. When he had the cosmic challenges of his daily life, Jesus did not just rely upon his willpower. He went back to scripture. This is how highly Jesus esteemed the word of God. When he was face to face with Satan and was being tempted in the incredible battle of spiritual warfare, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. 
when Jesus was on his way to the cross and all the last, last ounces of his life were ebbing away from him and he stumbles and he falls on the ground with the cross on his back, he quotes from Hosea. And in the last few breaths he has as he is in agony in both body and soul on the cross, he quotes Psalm 51. Jesus was fortified by scripture. And so the higher story, the upper story of Mark chapter seven is followers of Jesus. We've got to adjust our lives to scripture. In our culture today, we're trying to adjust scripture to fit our lifestyle. We're trying to change scripture to fit our patterns of behavior. And here in this upper story, we say, see Jesus saying, no, esteem scripture. If you believe you're under the authority of God, then you're also under the authority of God's word. Now this summer, we've talked a lot about doing things. And man, I had a remarkable trip to the border of Mexico this past Friday. My son and I took that really quick 19 hour round trip uh, jaunts down to uh, Brownsville and, and next week we'll share some more and have a little video it, it was amazing and this summer I have received more emails from you in fact I'm a couple of hundred emails behind from some of you who have been sharing with me stories of you sweating this summer for the glory of God and for, for the good of others but in talking about works and good works and, and doing the right thing it's really important to this under shepherd's heart to make sure that we're all in this house on the same page, biblically speaking, that we're on the same page doctrinally together. So let me this morning, first of all, share with you the false gospel. Sometimes to truly understand the true gospel of God's grace, we need to first understand and see and perceive the false gospel. So let me just kind of give you the false gospel. Here's the false gospel. False gospel is I have faith in my good works, I have faith in what I do. And if I do more good things than bad things, then I get this cosmic check mark by God. I'm approved by God. And then I can kind of live my life however I want to after that. That, by the way, is the essence of every world religion outside of Christianity. And it's also the way that many of us, preacher guy included, we tend to live our lives. If I can just do more good things than bad things, if I can just do some good things today, good things this week, do the right thing this week, then, then I'll be in favor with God. I'm, I'm, I have the check mark by God. I can be approved by God. And then, man, if I'm in good standing with God, I can kind of just live however I want to live. One more time. That's the false gospel. But here is the true gospel of grace. It begins with you and I living however we wanted to live. In our darkness, in our depravity, in our spiritual death, in our hopelessness. And then we believed on Christ and we were adopted by God by our faith in Christ Jesus. You see, not just approved by God, that sounds so cold. Instead, we were adopted by God. We were brought into his families. Behold, what manner of love that the Father has for us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. He has brought us into his family. And now because of that, we live a life of good works. We, we do, we serve, we sweat. That is the true gospel of grace. I wanna make sure we're all on the same page, again, scripturally this morning, that we don't do good work so that we might be adopted by God because we have been adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ, we do good works. And those two gospels, one false, one true, if you get that one wrong, it can mean an eternity of difference for you. It is based upon grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone.
Therefore, after that, when we're adopted as sons and daughters of God, we live to do good works. We live to serve, again, for the glory of God and for the good of others. So with that set, let me give you a couple of opportunities to holy sweat this week. Only two of them today. Man, we have, I, have, I have been easier and easier on you guys. Just started off five ways to serve the first three weeks. We went down to four. I think we just did three last week. And so I'm going to land this plane gently for all of us. Just, just two things. Here's the first thing I would encourage you to do. Eat a meal with someone who is different from you in this church family. I said something similar to that week number two, but I want to be very clear that I'm encouraging you to have a meal with someone within this church community that, that is different from you. And, uh, and let me show you what a gracious pastor you have. You have to the end of the year to do this, right? I'm not asking for you to do it this week, but by the end of 2019, I would encourage you to have a meal, not just a conversation, that's so easy. Certainly not just a high five, that's way easy. But saying, can we eat a meal together? I don't know you very well, in fact, I just met you last week or I'm meeting you right now, but can we, can we find a time to eat a meal? And when I'm talking about different from you, I'm asking for you to eat a meal with someone of a different generation or maybe a different color or a different political party or a different chapter of life or maybe a different level of, of spiritual maturity or a different background or a different culture or different language. We live in a polarized nation. We are so divided. Let me offend the Democrats first. It's not Trump's fault. Now let me offend the Republicans. It wasn't Obama's fault. It's not the social media. It's not because there is an increased tension between the races in our nation. Let me tell you why our country is so polarized today is because there's a decrease of righteousness and an increase of sin. And that has separated us. There's been this violence. There's been this darkness. There's been this hatred between us. And let me say the government was never designed to reconcile people, nor was the arts or business or education or entertainment. The church alone is, should be on the forefront of bringing peace and reconciliation in our country. Where does that start? Believe it or not, it can start by you inviting someone that looks different than you out for a meal. Why not now? Why not this church? Why not this city? That we become the people in the front lines of doing something that the church was actually designed to do. And that is for you and I to be ministers of reconciliation. Isn't it amazing that's as easy as Chick-fil-A or a barbecue or something just as easy as having a meal together? Thank you for the polite applause, but I encourage you... (laughs) to do that this semester. Here's the second thing. Creating space 2.0. Three years ago, um, I stood here in the summertime and I said, you know what, this, we're, we're out of space. Like our two gatherings, they're, they're getting so filled up that there's no one else that can really find, find a seat. So we're gonna add a, a third gathering. So before my staff starts quivering in their shoes, we're not gonna add a fourth gathering. So I'm not looking for that being, being, being the answer. But just out of curiosity, if that was three years ago when we began a third gathering to open up another 1,400 seats on a Sunday morning, in the last three years, if you became 
a member of Highland or just a regular attender of Highland in the last three years, would you just raise your hand? Let me see, see your hands. Everybody look around for just a second because those hands represent creating space three years ago. Thank, thank you. Yeah, welcome to all of you. Um, let me just put on the screen for you. Next week, we're gonna have three gatherings that, that begin at 8.40, 10 o'clock, and, and 11.20. That begins next Sunday morning. Contrary to practiced opinion, it's actually not 8.50 and 10.10 and 11.30. It is 8.40 and 10 and 11.20. And so that starts next, next week. Creating space the first time around, man, we just saw an amazing um, growth of families and students and singles and adults. It's, it's been such a fun couple of years, three years now. But here's some ways that I would encourage us to, these are very pragmatic ways that I hope creating space 2.0, kind of our, our second um, attempt at this, our, our second jump at this. Here's a, a very practical thing that you can do uh, next week and maybe for the next several weeks, if there's any way you could attend 840 and 1120, that would be great. Because what's going to happen next week, we'll have, we have 1,700 people here this morning, approximately. There will be 3,400 people here in seven days. If you've never been here at the last of August, your world is about to be rocked next, next Sunday morning. It is, it is so fun, and it's so crazy, and, and it's maddening, and it's exciting all, all at the same time. And so the majority of people next week will come to 10 o'clock. If you come to 840, now let me say this, I understand that we have designed some ABFs that where the only place you can come is, is 10 o'clock. So I'm not, I'm not speaking to you. In fact, we did this to you. We required you to come, come to 10 o'clock. But I am saying if there's any way possible, you could go to 840 or 1120. It would, well, it would create space. And you'll actually find a seat, which is kind of a nice thing at 840 or 1120. Um, so that's a very pragmatic way that we can sweat together these next several weeks. Here, here's the second thing, and this might be not just holy sweat, but literal sweat. Would you be interested, please, in parking away from the church campus and, and then making the walk-in? So if you are ambulatory enough to, walk, uh, to park away, park off campus, like a few blocks away and make the, the holy sweat walk-in, that would be such a benefit, not necessarily to those who are around you right now, but to the 1,700 people who aren't around us today. Dean Highland Elementary is, is right behind me. It's just a few blocks away. That parking lot will be available, and we have shuttling golf carts that will go back and forth. And so if you're interested in parking there, we'll get you to the church fast and get you back there, and you can kind of take off quickly from the Dean Highland parking lot. It's, it's, it's going to be crazy next next few weeks. And so just kind of make make sure we're we're prepped to create space for, for people. Here, here's a third, a very practical way. Arrive early, and I know I just lost about 80% of you, but arrive early, and when you come into the Life Center, if you would go to the middle of the aisles, so what we're doing here is trying to create space on the outside of the aisles, but also would you come toward the front? I know I just lost the other 20% of you just then, but if you would come toward the front, really only the front row is the spit zone. Everything else, you're pretty clear from back there, but it helps if the back two or three rows are empty when the gathering starts because that way we can let people be seated there as opposed to trying to come down to the front and find places. So if you could arrive early, one, it allows you to get a seat, allows you to say hello to a few people around you. And when you come in, if you come toward the middle of the aisles and then come toward the front. I know that's, that's really a weird thing to say in a time of 
proclaiming the scripture, but what it really is, it's, it's selflessness. It's, it's sweating for the, for the good of others to come early, to go to the middle, and to come to the front. Um, here's the next thing. If there's any way possible, stay off of 30th Street. Uh, on the count of three, everybody point to 30th Street. So one, two, three. Yeah, no, ma'am, it's not over there. So that, back that way, straight, straight behind us. That's 30th Street. So if you could stay away from 30th, one, you want to stay away from 30th Street the next several weeks. Because again, you've got 1,700 people. Let's say 1,200 of them next week have never been to Highland before. And all they know is kind of 30th and Maple. So they're going to be on 30th and, and Maple. So if you know how to kind of make your way around the church campus, it'd be great to park on the parking lots from a street, not from 30th Street. So not only, if you don't mind staying away from 30th Street, if, if you can carpool, that is so helpful. And let's be really, really kind to our neighbors, uh, often on Monday mornings, especially these next few Sundays. We'll get a call from a neighbor who I understand, you know, I understand why they're disgruntled. Someone has parked like in their driveway or have gone up into their grass and they're not able to get out of their car. And so let's just be really kind to, to our neighbors. And here's, here's the last thing I have for you as far as creating space. These next few weeks, be only as patient with others as God has been patient with you. Yeah, ouch, right? So <laughs> if God has been really short with you and has flown off the handle with you and God has been quick to anger with you and very slow to compassion, then man, just yell at everybody next Sunday morning. You know, park in the wrong places, cross the yellow line. You know, just whatever you need to say, whatever you need to do, you just feel the freedom to just have at it next Sunday morning with people. But, but if God has been kind to you and slow in anger, and rich in his compassion towards you and ever so patient with you as he has been with me. Let's display that same compassion and gentleness and kindness when you, you know, you can't find a parking place and you can barely make it into the life center next week through the lobby and there, and oh my gosh, the worst, your seat, you know, right? Your seat is taken by somebody else, you know, that had no idea. Please just bless them in the name of the Lord and don't say, or don't hover over them and go, that's, that's been my seat the last 14 years until you got here, you know, this today. So I just encourage you, just be as patient with people next week as God has been patient with you. Let me, and man, he's been patient with us. My gosh, God has been patient with me. Let me let, let you look to the screen. You know, Jesus quoted out of Isaiah some pretty harsh words. Let me give you these words as well that I pray land right. Isaiah chapter one, hear the word of the Lord. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your festivals and your feasts. My soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary, weary of bearing them. I mean, they were doing what the Old Testament had prescribed for them to do in regards to, to sacrifices and coming to the temple, yet heartlessly. They did not love God. God is saying, you can't hold on to sin and try to honor me at the same time. 
God continues in verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean and take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and and learn to do right. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. God is saying, even if you multiply your prayers, how how many prayers you pray a day, multiply that, and I'm still not gonna listen to you because your hands and your heart are dirty. Make yourselves clean. Remove this evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. And if I were to send you out on that note today, woe be to us all. But I submit to you the most beautiful verse in all the Old Testament is next. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. So come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So for anyone here today that's made a mess of your life, you're a rebel and a prodigal and the number of your sins you can't even count anymore. You say spiritual things, but your heart does not belong to God. Here's the gospel this morning. There is a God who has sent his son Jesus to make a way for you to reason with God, to know him, to be in his presence. And if that wasn't sweet enough, he offers up the possibility of adopting you as a daughter and a son when you believe upon the name of the one who can make your sins as white as snow. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray. Jesus, you take wide swings. At some point or another this morning, we saw ourselves in the seat of being a hypocrite of worshiping you with our lips and yet our heart is far from you. Our speech is spiritual, but our life is just in rebellion. There's many of us here, we're more concerned about our outward appearance than the condition of our heart before you. So God, we praise you today that you invite us to come and reason with you that your son Jesus has made a way for that reasoning, for that fellowship with God. Though our sins are red like crimson, our hearts can be washed as white as snow. So Father, we thank you today for this Jesus, this Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. We press into him. And for those today who do not know Jesus Christ, the door is wide open to step in and to find life and freedom and joy and adoption. This is the true gospel of grace. In the name of Jesus, this precious lamb, we joyfully pray. Amen.